What up, friends? Hey, guys. Well, welcome. My name is Ka'eo, and I'm glad to be hanging out with you guys tonight. Uh, that video, every time, makes me cry. It was really good, especially when... Um, well, actually, really quickly, jealousy did not look pretty on Fish Guts. You saw that. That was tough. I was like, come on, Fish Guts. What happened? <laughs> um, but anyways, turn to, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 34 and 37. We're going to skip through a lot, but I believe that we can do it. And I think it'll be a great time with us. Okay, so before we get started, just like a recap, just recap. Um, this whole week, we've been looking at what it means to be resilient. Say resilient. Resilient as followers of Jesus. And we've seen Daniel and his friends stand boldly and confidently for the Lord in the midst of incredible hard times. If you haven't noticed the video, if you're just kind of seeing it visually as we've gone through Daniel, it is like episode after episode after episode that Daniel and his buddies is just like, where is the break? Um, and yet they were constantly faithful to God, which I think is so beautiful. Um, and then this morning, we talked about this thing that starts with S, ends in, in. Yeah, and how that is actually one big roadblock that gets in the way of us following after uh, God. And tonight, we're going to discover uh, just a little bit more about how God can save and rescue us from the clutches of certain death and destruction through a guy named who? Jesus, yes, great job. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so before we get there, uh, I'm just going to want us to pray. Do you mind? All right, so bow your heads. Whoop. Close your eyes. And let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And uh, we just pray right now for me and my friends uh, that as we get to uh, get into uh, your word tonight, um, that we would recognize, um, yeah, that uh, we just need to fight for our attention on you. And everything in, in the world would even want us to not. And so even right now in this space, um, would we focus on you and settle our souls? We love you. Press in your sons. And we said, amen. All right. So we got a lot to cover to get to that part of the story. And I think we can do this. So like we left off. You know how we talked about the weight of our sin and how it eternally separates us from God? And we saw that on display in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. And then, kind of like at the beginning of the video, in uh, Daniel 4, verse 34, read it with me. We're going to see the little change there, all right? It says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. That's God. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he, is, does, he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. Right there, Nebuchadnezzar just realized that he is, that God is king and not him no more. This is good. All right? And then it goes, and none can say his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Verse 37. Some of you were there. That's all right. I'll flip my page. Verse 37. Now I, this is part I, I underlined in my Bible. I know. Gasp. Uh, I underlined that part in my Bible because I never want to forget this part. It says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of what? Heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble 
Wow, come on, Nebuchadnezzar, you did it, JK, the Lord did it. Nebuchadnezzar finally repents and is fully restored. He came to fully embrace his need for the one true God, and the Lord fully restores him. And what I love about this is just like some backstory, or some sorry, uh, historical information. Neb would, Nebuchadnezzar would rule Babylon for 40 more years until he died, and Nebuchadnezzar is living eternally in the glory and paradise of heaven. But what I want you to see right now this one truth, okay? So if I lost you, come back, all right? This is one truth I want you to just to see right now. This shows us that no one is too far from God to restore. It shows us that God never gives up on his people. Because earlier I was like, gosh, Nebuchadnezzar's tough. You know, he's the enemy. Daniel's the hero. But what we see here is that God was faithfully, constantly pursuing Nebuchadnezzar through what? Visions and also through Who? Daniel, all right? We can never, never cast judgment on people being like, you're too, there's no way the Lord can save you. Mm-mm, uh-uh. We can't. The Lord constantly is pursuing us. So if you're taking notes, write down, I am not too far from God, okay? I am not too far from God, okay? All right, so chapter five, there's a lot here. Really quickly, I just want to talk about chapter 5 because it's really interesting. I just have to see, you have to, you have to see this like repetition. Nebuchadnezzar, he's gone in heaven, right? Then this other guy comes in, Belshazzar, all right? He's going to be the new king, and he does the exact same thing. Say exact same thing? Exact same thing. Patterns of pride and, gar- and arrogance all throughout chapter 5. It's so, it's like such like, I look at him like, gosh, what, did you not learn anything, right? This guy, Belshazzar, he throws himself a gigantic party in his own honor, all right? Pride, okay? And he does so while a nation, a rival nation to Babylon, okay? Enemies of Babylon, they're coming and they're attacking the very gate of Babylon. And he is so arrogant and prideful with himself and the city that he built that he doesn't even bother to fight. And that's what we see in chapter 5. Not only does he do that, but he mocks the Lord by asking all the gold and silver cups and the temple decorations be taken from the Lord temple in Jerusalem and be used at this guy's party. Right? It's, it's a, it's a, I was like, well, this is not real. <laughs> like, what is happening? What was used for worship for God, he now used to worship for himself. And in the middle of that feast, a floating hand appears, and it writes on the wall a language that no one can understand. So Belshazzar, unable to read what was written, and like just scared, oh, listen, I'd be scared too. Like, what's happening? Right? He calls for who? Guess who? Daniel. Daniel, back in the middle of this, right? And to see if he can interpret it. And sure enough, Daniel, being faithful to the Lord, can. And it says, Mene, mene, tekel parsin, which translates, you have been weighed and been found wanting. Belshazzar has been weighed by the Lord to see if he measured up to the holy standard. And guess what? Nope. Because of his sin, he would reap what he was sowed and his life would be taken from him. And this is what Daniel tells Belshazzar, which is, you know... Daniel's always in this place where he has to tell the king, hey, look, listen, if you don't change your ways, you're going to lose it. Um, and so he tells the king, and the king, he tells the king, hey, like, hey, dude, like, you're about to die as the result of your sin. Like, probably should, like, shape up. And then this is how he responds to Daniel. This is, like, where he's at, all right? He goes, he ends up celebrating Daniel and then promotes him. He's like, wow, you should be in my inner court. But he doesn't turn away from his sin, all right? And I, look, just really quickly, sin for us, always seems to um, 
look great. But if you're taking notes right, sin overpromises and underdelivers. Sin overpromises and underdelivers. It's like cotton candy. Okay, walk with me. I think you can do this. Cotton candy, if you ever go to the fair or you've seen it, right? I, I just recently saw on TikTok, somehow I got on food TikTok, and they make this like insane amounts, like cloud-sized cotton candy, right? But have you, ever, have you ever done this? I think you've done this before. And you squish it down to a really, really tiny, 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 tiny thing, and then you eat it, right? You ever done that to cotton candy? Yeah, it's like a thing. It's what we do. Um, but it's just like cotton candy. Sin is like cotton candy. It overpromises and underdelivers. You can eat that, and listen, I'll be really honest, I'm not full after eating cotton candy. I want more. And then when you keep eating more, keep indulging yourself in this cotton candy, and you, what happens to your poor tummy? You get sick. All right? You get sick. That is sin. Okay? It is cotton candy. Overpromises, underdelivers. Looks like it's going to be great. Ends up really, 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 really tiny. Have too much of it. You pay the price. Okay? All right? Now, I realize that it's just like it's a silly illustration, but you can see it, right? What sin can do to us. And that's exactly where the sum of Belshazzar's sin leaves him. The Persian Empire attacks the city gates and it breaks through because no one was at the fight or no one was there to fight at the walls. Where were they? At a party. At a party. All right? And so the city was taken without a fight, and a new, new king comes to power. All right? And so what, we see in, what we've seen all throughout chapters 1 through 5 is that sin separates us from the Lord. It overpromises and underdelivers. And we talked about what is the wages of sin? What is the cost of sin? Death. All right? Yo, guys, it's tough. All right? It is indeed death and separation, and that's been weighed and measured. And we found that in all these kings' lives, right? And we learned yes, or this morning that we can't wash it ourselves. We can't. We can't do it ourselves. And the Lord, what we also see is the Lord always means what he says when he talks about the cost of sin being death. This taking over Babylon by the Persian uh, is a fulfillment of the dream of Daniel when he interpreted in chapter 2. God means what he says, and he is in full control. Remember what I said on the first night? I said, God always has a plan, all right? God always has a plan. So now we're going to be in six. So go ahead and turn to six. We just, we covered a lot, but we need to get to six. Chapter what? Six. What chapter? Six. We're going to be in verses one, two, and three, a little bit of four, and a little bit of five, all right? Just kidding. We're going to go all through five. All right, so we got a new king, all right? <laughs> we went through three kings uh, in the matter of 10 minutes, three kings, all right, this guy is named Darius, all right? When I first read it, I was like, Darius. Nope, it's Darius, all right? Um, and he's a new king, and because of his vast power and sheer dominion of the land, kind of like what we saw in here, he assigns an official, like a vice president, right? And who does he assign? Who does he assign? Daniel. So Daniel's one of the three governors, and he rules over a large chunk of the kingdom. And under him are like mayors and, you know, town officials and stuff. So Daniel has elevated from... Being a, what was he in, uh, in chapter one? Prisoner. A prisoner. And now where is he? Essentially, like in a very high place of authority, a.k.a. vice president, all right? That's where he's at. 
Daniel, because of his faithfulness in character, is promoted to be almost the same level as king himself. Daniel holds a great deal of power, but this doesn't go for, well for the rest of governors, a.k.a. fish guts. All right? So, verse 4. I just summarized 1, 2, and 3. Sorry. Verse 4. <clears throat> read with me. It goes, then the high officials and the satraps, right? I said satraps when I first read it. It's satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was what? I'm sorry, he was what? Faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his what? His God. All right, the other leaders become jealous and are seeking a way to get rid of Daniel. They don't find any fault or complaint or error. And listen, when people can't find fault in you, they'll attack in what you believe in. All right? If they can't find fault in you, they'll find fault in what you believe in. And then they'll be like, well, then you say you believe this. All right? Is that true, though? Okay, so it's really important, really important, really important. Okay, I'm gonna talk about that more tomorrow, but it's really important. All right, so because they were just jealous and they couldn't figure out how to get rid of Daniel, they make a plan. All right, in verse 6, these high officials and the satraps, say satraps. Satraps, right? I like it because it seems, I know, I know it's really not what it means, but when I see satraps, I'm like, yo, they're going to trap Daniel. Their name is already in it. All right, so they, they came by agreement to the king and they said to him, oh, king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are all in agreement that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, aka a law that gets intercepted, that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, listen, when you first hear that, you're like, wow, yeah, that's nice. Just like the video. Like, oh, wow, thank you. It's a great flattery. Yeah, I should totally make this law. So he makes this law. Verse 8. Um, okay, yeah, verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document. So much haste here, all right, so that it cannot be changed. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, or Darius, signed the document and the injunction. So look, they're making this trap. If you miss everything I said, they're going to try and trap Daniel because they know that Daniel, who does he worship? God. And you know that he's going to be praying to him, right? And so they, he, Darius, or Darius just kind of falls into this trap. And he writes down this, he puts this law, and then once again, just like the other kings, he let his pride, his worship of himself, all right, get in the way. He got captivated by flattery, all right? He started having a bigger view of himself. You know what pride is? Having a bigger view of yourself. We see it again. And all of a sudden, he was like, I'm going to be the Lord of my life. Okay, and now we're going to see how Daniel responds, all right? Verse 10, Daniel is in another life or death situation. I have major sympathy for poor Daniel, all right? And then Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. What? If I was Daniel, which, praise the Lord, I'm not, if I was Daniel, I would have heard that, and guess what I would have done? I'm like, you know what, Lord? I'm done. I'm done. This is, again? I'm out. Moving to another country. Bye. Like, I would have left, fearing for my own what? Life. But what we see in Daniel, he's like, no, I'm going to do what I've always done. 
I'm going to be faithful to who? And so I'm going to get back in what I've done all the time, get on my knees, and I'm going to pray. I don't know about you, but there have been many times when trials come my way, and it is not my first thing to, do, to pray. My first thing is to freak out. All right? I love what Daniel shows here. He shows that, hey, when this comes, I'm going to do what I've always done. Remember what I said about challenges? We never rise to the what? Challenge, but we always fall to our what? Training, right? You can tell, because it says, like he has always done previously, that Daniel has always prayed to who? God. So even when these trials came, what did he do? He prayed. Okay, so all, all Daniel's attention, affection, and adoration was solely pointed to the Lord. He immediately prays to the Lord after finding out the news of this law. Even when he was unable to trace out what the Lord was doing, he trusted God's heart. Um, so sure enough, for Daniel, the officials catch him, right? And they take him away. <laughs> and, he gets, and he's gone. And the Sith, like, I'm just like, what is happening? Poor Daniel. Um, and, he, and they take him before Darius, all right? So he gets taken in the middle of prayer, just kind of like we saw in the video. Um, and then he gets arrested, and Daniel, uh, yeah, Darius, after an entire day of trying to find out a way to get Daniel out of it, he realized he can't. His hands are tied. He wrote this law, and he can't do it. So then what does he have to do? He has to punish and actually, like, execute the law, which was if they found out someone was praying to another god, where do they send them? to the lion's den. So he's like, oh, no, all right, you go. Daniel gets put into the lion's den, and then a large stone is rolled over the entrance. Daniel runs, or, uh, Darius, or Darius, sorry, runs to the tomb, finds Daniel alive and well the next morning, spared from the lions, because he is found blameless before the Lord. And then Darius praises the Lord and surrenders to God. We saw that. When Darius is praising the Lord, you just have to see this, but the, the before and then the after. While uh, Daniel is in the lion's den, Darius is seeing the weight of his fault and pride. Because now remember how I said sin is not just about self? What I say sin also affects other people. Darius in that moment realized in his prideful self, his sin now affected who? Daniel. And Darius should have been the one that got into that, into that lion's den, but who went instead? Daniel. So he was racked by the weight of it. He couldn't sleep. You kind of saw in the video, he was kind of pacing, right? He couldn't sleep. Darius then witnesses the full deliverance of Daniel from the Lord when he runs to the lion's den and sees that Daniel is alive and unharmed. Darius joyfully surrenders to the Lord and praises God as the one who has the power who can save. Look at what it says, Daniel chapter 6, verse 26 and 27. <clears throat> it says, oops, new turn. 26 and 27. He goes, I, this is uh, Darius talking. He goes, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers, and what? rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Do you see it? Come on now. Darius, right, is saved from the weight of his sin because the one who was faithful to the Lord took on the punishment for Darius's sin and took on the impending death and defeated it by the power of God. And because of this, Darius realizes his need 
for the Lord and hands over the control of his life to who? God. So I don't know if you kind of saw some hints there, right? Some little shadows, little motifs, right? But Daniel's life is a side-by-side foretelling of this guy that starts with J and ends in Jesus. Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus ends up going into a tomb with a large stone rolled over it? Do you remember about a story about a guy named Jesus who walks out of that tomb three days later, right? And so, look, Jesus was God himself in human form. He knew no sin and was unmarked by the stain of sin like we talked about this morning. And then he became sin on our behalf. And he did not consider equality to God a thing to be grasped, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and death to the cross. <clears throat> God loved us so much that when he saw us in our slavery to sin, leading to death, he sent his own son to live a life that we couldn't, which was blameless. Darius, because of his sin and pride and reality, should have been thrown into the lion's den, like I said. <clears throat> Daniel goes, and a stone is rolled over the tomb. And Jesus, like Daniel, served the Lord and the Lord alone, and no fault could be found in him in order that he might pay the full cost of our sin through his death. Jesus and Daniel, they kind of show this whole thing, but Jesus paints, he pays the ultimate price for the sin that he did not commit, but for the sins of humanity. And then Jesus comes out of the tomb alive, just like Daniel comes out fully untouched by the lions. And then that proclaims our sin, right? That Jesus paid for all of our sin. If Jesus never rolled from the dead, that would mean that the payment wasn't paid in full, that we still owe something. But he came out of the tomb, which means that there's nothing more that we need to do. Jesus takes your debt of the sin that you couldn't pay, and he credits his eternal life that you couldn't purchase yourself because of sin, and he puts it into your account. And so sometimes, like pastors all the time, they'll use illustrations like this about payment uh, and bank, because I think money is something we fully understand the gravity and the weight of, all right? And um, I'm just gonna share, again, this is not to glorify myself, but honestly, just to brag on what God's doing. I was going to uh, my freshman year of college. Now, excuse me, I really need to clear my throat. throat) Freshman year of college, here we go, we're back. Uh, I was going to my freshman year of college at the University of Oklahoma, and um, I, in a, I don't have time for this, but in a, just a strange wave of events, my bank account for my college fund was gone. Um, I only had 37 cents in there for some reason. And my college bill was $14,000 and 500, or $14,500, uh, $14, $14, there we go. And um, I remember going to the bank, being like, hey, I need to draw some money to pay for some books, and then put like, the first payment down. And the, the bank teller was like, hey, you only have 37 cents. I don't know what happened. I said, what happened? Long story, it wasn't there. And I don't know what happened. I can't really touch it until I graduated, so I have no idea what happened. And then so I'm like crying, because it was like I was going to be the first one on my side of the family to go to college. I got accept- accepted to the University of Oklahoma. I was like, come on, Lord, if it was your will, why is this happening? And I remember just bawling on uh, these stairs at my friend's house. And my friend, his name's Chase, and the family's the Johnson family. And uh, my friend just got a full ride to the University of Oklahoma. He's brilliant. And I used to envy him a lot, being like, Lord, where's my brain? And, um, and so he was able to get a full ride. And then I remember bawling, being like, I can't go. I have to go to community, or I don't even know what I'm going to do now, right? And Chase's mom comes down. She gets home from work, and she goes, hey, K-A, we've been praying for your situation, and we're just going to go ahead and write this check 
for $14,500. And I said, I don't want that. <laughs> and you want to know why I said I don't want that? Because I knew I'd have to repay it. And there was no way I was going to repay, me, 18, repay $14,500. And I was just like, I'm going to forever be in this debt of yours. And, the, you know, and uh, Chase's mom and Chase's dad sat me down and they said, no, we really want you to write this. We already wrote it. It's paid in full. Here you go. And I was like, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't take it. And the Johnson family, they stopped for a second and they said, look, listen, we're not giving this because we feel bad for you. We're not giving this because you need saving. We're giving this just out of the generosity that the Lord has given us, and it was never ours to hold on to in the first place. We're giving this to you. You never earned it. You never asked for it. It is a gift. And I said, well, I can never repay it. And they said, we never want you to repay it. It's a gift. When have you ever had to repay someone for a gift? And I said, I, I can't take it. And they said, Ka'eo, it is a gift. Please take this check and go. The Lord has great things planned for you. Go. And I was just like, I, I, you know, and I, I took it and I cried and I folded it. And I, I was like, I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> and then I was, and then finally, uh, Chase's mom sat me down and she goes, listen, Jesus gave his life for you. And he paid a price that you can never pay back. And yet you fully accept that. Why cannot you see this as just another shadow of what Jesus has done for you in provision? And I was just like, I don't know. And she, and she goes, it's because you think that you have to earn your way still. You think you still have to do the work. You, th you think that you, you still have to make the dollars so that way you can then be saved, so you can therefore earn it, so you feel like you deserve it. And Jesus never asked her that. And so I remember just crying and being like, you're right. <laughs> And then I took, I remember taking that check, it was just made out to the University of Oklahoma, I took that check and I took it there, and she goes, thank you so much. And I said, no, this means more than you know. And I remember being like, ever since that moment where I saw the most physical representation of what Jesus did for me on the cross, this became the most important thing on the planet to me. Sometimes we don't look at this because we don't recognize what God actually did for us. I could never pay back those $14,500. I, I didn't have a job then. My, my savings account was what? 37 cents. I put that in a bank. I don't even know when the interest would make it to that, right? It, the gravity of the weight of what I could not repay, that is the gravity of the sin that God took for you. And then on that cross said, you have so much, so much value that I'm willing to die and stay here so that I can restore a relationship back to you. Remember, I say that story not, listen, not to glorify me. It had, no, it had nothing to do with me. I did not earn that money at all. Listen, I was a terrible kid sometimes. There's no way. I ate, I ate more food at the Johnson's house than I ate at my own house. If anything, I owed them a lot of money for the food they bought. But that's what Jesus does. He takes that. Romans 5, 8 through 10, it says, For while we were so weak, at the right time Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, see, still sinners. Remember how I told you about the shower thing this morning? We don't shower first to get in the shower. We don't get clean first to get in the shower. It's the job of the shower to clean us. Look, while we were still sinners, still separated from God, Christ died for us. Verse 9, it says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we, uh, so for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved for his life? 
There are, uh, there's a really silly phrase I remember learning when I was younger, and it was just justified. So write down justified in your notes. J-U-S-T-I-F-I-E-D, justified. J-U-S-T-I-F-I-E-D. All right, and I remember being like to my youth pastor, "What in the world, justify? What does that even mean?" And he would say, "You probably heard it before, maybe, or maybe it's just something you say in the south." And he goes, "I want you to understand this doctrine of what Jesus did for us. When you are justified, it means that it was just like you have never sinned, just as this I have never sinned." All right, so when you're justified, the fullness of God's wrath for sin, being dead, has been perfectly satisfied, and not in your death, but the death of Jesus. It is as if you have never sinned. And because of that, we can be reconciled, meaning the debt can be, the debt that separated us from God has been paid now, so we're back on even ground. Our relationship is restored. Remember, sin separated us from who? God. We got sent out, all right? But then God wasn't like, all right, bye, you guys suck. No, he didn't do that. God said, I'm still going to pursue you. Say, God pursues me. God pursues me. Okay, here's the thing. You don't believe that, which is why you said it so timidly right? God pursues me. Say it. God pursues me, all right? God went out. The whole Bible from beginning to end is a declaration and a story of how God pursued his people because he wanted to restore his people back to him. He said, you can't do it yourself, so I'm going to go ahead and send someone named Jesus to go ahead and rescue you and restore you back to me because I love you that much. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did, Remember that verse that we talked about? I need to turn there. In Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. I want you to turn there. Okay, I need you to turn there. Ephesians. Ephesians. You know how I learned how to find Ephesians? It was God eats popcorn because it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's really silly. <laughs> I don't think God actually eats popcorn, um, but uh, if he could, I think he would. So uh, Ephesians chapter 2, you know how I talked about this morning when I said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we have once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by the nature or we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's what we talked about this morning. And remember this word that I just think it's so good when it's in the Bible. What was it? But. You there? Chapter 2, verse 4. But. Okay? But. You there? Here we go. We were dead in our trespasses, but God, say it, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Put verse 8. If you don't even hear anything I say, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not on your own doing. It is a Gift from God. It's not a result of your works so that no one may boast. Friends, listen. That is the gift that Jesus has for us. And how do we attain that life, though? You just have to embrace it. You have to receive it. This forgiveness is a gift. We don't deserve it, and we never earned it. It's just already been given to you. Look up. Look to the left, look to the right, 
Look down. Look at me. Right now, if you've forgotten anything I've ever said, this is what I'm going to ask you right now. Hey, please, me and my friends, would you please key in? Because this part I'm about to say is the most important thing to me. So I would love for you just to listen. Wake up, O sleeper, as the Bible says, and would you hear this part? Okay? It says, really quickly, if you're taking notes, put gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, equals that you are fully known. Jesus knew every part of your sinful heart, everything in your past, present, and future. In the gospel, because of Jesus, you are fully loved. He saw you and me enslaved in our sin and perfect love. He paid the full price for it to adopt us back as a loving father into his family. In the, or in the gospel, because of Jesus, you are fully forgiven, fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven. No longer you are slaves and sinners, but you're now sons and daughters of the God of the universe. He knows you by name. And the last thing is, which is the thing that we still struggle with, is that you are now, because of the gospel and because of Christ Jesus, you are fully accepted. Because now we are wrapped in the covers of Jesus' payment, marked by Jesus' righteousness, we are the right standing with God because the debt of sin has been paid. Gospel equals fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven, and fully accepted. The gospel is fully what? Known. Fully what? Loved. Fully what? Forgiven. Fully what? Accepted. We're going to say it one more time. The gospel is being fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven, and fully accepted. Okay, no, no, listen. We've got to do it one more time because it's so timid in this house. Because of the gospel, it means what? We are fully known. We're fully loved. We're fully forgiven. We're fully accepted. And that is the truth, my friends. But the problem is, is I don't want to believe that there are some of us that just don't know that. So I want you to do right now. Remember how I said this was a trust place? Remember when I said it was a trust place? Right? So it's a trust place, which means I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And that means I don't want your eyes to come open. This also doesn't mean you should sleep. All right? It's not your permission to sleep. Okay? Sorry. Uh, Close your eyes. And this is going to be a time for trust. Now, look. It would be a miss tonight if I didn't give you an opportunity if you found yourself being like, K-A-O, I actually have never. Some of your eyes are open. What? Close your eyes. <laughs> I recognize I said the word look, and that is my bad. <laughs> Please forgive me. But right now, close your eyes <laughs> so that way you don't break trust. It would be a miss tonight if I didn't give you an opportunity to receive his grace and forgiveness like we talked about. Maybe there's some of you in this room that you're like, hey, Ka'o, I know about God, but I don't, he is not my Lord and Savior. If anything, I'm an academic Christian. I look good on paper. <laughs> but if God stood, if Jesus walked in this room tonight, I'm not sure he would know my name. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to do some resilient and some resolved work that we've been talking about all week. I'm actually going to ask you to stand. I don't do it yet. 
I'm going to ask you to stand if you'd like to embrace the gospel and accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life for the first time. Don't do it just yet. Don't do it just yet. Because right now, this, this, I really want you to hear this with your eyes closed. This decision isn't about your friends to the left or to the right or what they think about. Put your people-pleasing like sin to the side. This is just about you and the Lord. This isn't about what your parents think or your teachers think or your counselors think. It even doesn't even care about what I think. This is between you and the Lord. This is you proclaiming before Jesus alone that you need him to save you from your sin. You're the monkey trying to pull up your ears, and you need someone to grab you out of that. And you want to accept his forgiveness and grace and receive his eternal life and joy. I would, I would argue that this is the biggest decision you'd ever make, so I want you to sit and think. Don't do it just yet. We as human beings are all passion before we even think about what does it mean to follow Jesus. So right now, I want you to consider your life. The question again I ask is, would you like to embrace the gospel and accept Jesus as Lord of your life for the first time? Because Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and rose from the dead, you will be saved. So think, if this is you, I'm actually going to ask you to stand, and no one's going to look yet. No one's going to look yet. We're going to trust, right? I'm going to ask you to stand when I count to three. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and walk into the loving arms of a God who loves you and offers forgiveness for your sin that you could not pay yourself, I'm going to ask you to stand on three. One, two, three. I want you to stand in silence for a second because you're standing before the king. And so when those of you who are standing with now, I'm going to ask you <clears throat> to stay standing and keeping your eyes closed. <clears throat> in your own way right now, I'd just love for you just to go ahead and pray to the Lord and just be like, hey God, this is me. I'm making that decision to follow you to the best of my ability. I'll give you a second between you and the Lord. Those of you who are standing, go ahead. Everyone with their eyes closed still, but those of you who are standing, would you mind just opening your eyes and looking up? Here. I was very proud of you on Monday night when I first met you. You standing doesn't make me more proud of you because I was already proud. <laughs> but now I'm even more excited for you as you get to realize what it looks like to live in the abundance and the freedom that Christ gives. And so with that being said, for the rest of us, I'd love for you to look up now and to celebrate your friends.
Okay, now you can be seated. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you to do one more favor for me. I know, I'm asking a lot today. But what I'm going to ask you to do right now is <laughs> close your eyes again. Ah, trust, 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 trust me. Close your eyes again. Close your eyes again. Now, it would be amiss if I left this room and I didn't give an opportunity for those who've been like, hey, Ka'eo, honestly, if I was being really honest, I know that Jesus is my Lord and, or is my Savior of my life, but I haven't made him Lord. Remember how I talked about that this morning? I trust him with my internal life, but I don't trust him in my day to day. If anything, I've walked pretty far from him. I've gone a little sideways in our relationship. I don't necessarily get in my Bible as much. I don't even know what. I've been caught up in this sin that honestly I feel like if God knew, he, wouldn't, he doesn't love me. And so I would argue if that's you in this room, again, it would be amiss if I didn't ask you to also be resilient like Daniel. And for those of you who've already called Jesus Lord and Savior, I do want you to remember that there was nothing that you could ever do that would separate you from him. He will never forsake you or leave you. Um, but yet, for some reason, we think, God, all the things that we've done, my hand is dirty, and there is no way that you can love me anymore. And so if that's where you stand tonight, where you sit in those seats, I'm going to ask you, on the count of three, to also be resilient. And this one's a proclamation, being like, hey, Ka'eo, I have wandered away. I have forgotten like the Israelites. I have made idols like King Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to come back. I need to come back. And so if that's you in a count of three, I'm just going to ask you to stand up to proclaim that, hey, I've been, uh, I've been making idols and things that shouldn't be, and I need God to be rightfully back on his throne. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to stand, and everyone else's eyes are still going to be closed. Here we go in one, two, three. And then those of you that just stood up, I'm just going to ask you, just like I asked the first group, just in your own way, in your own words, I'd love for you to pray to the Lord and just be like, hey, God, here I am, <laughs> and I'm sorry. I know grace abounds in you, and so, Lord, I just ask that you would remind me of that truth. In your own way, give you a moment between you and the Lord, because this is not about me. All right, everyone else's eyes are closed, but the ones who are standing, could you open your eyes and look this way? I need you to hear, my friends, that you are already loved, and you have always been, and you are always enough because Christ has always been. So for those of you who are standing, friends who are sitting, go ahead and open your eyes and give them a round of applause for being bold and resilient.
You guys can go ahead and be seated. Now I'm going to ask you to do it one more time. So I can pray. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. And then we're going to go ahead and pray. All right? Bow your heads. Close your eyes. And let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And God, I pray for me and my friends, for the ones who show up for the first time declaring that Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, that you would remind them of the good news and the glory that is you, and that we are no longer separated by our sins, God, but we have eternal uh, life with you. And for the friends that sit up saying, hey, God, I've gotten a little sideways, I pray that you remind them that your grace and grace abounds, and they were never marked by the things that they've done, but always marked by your grace and love for them. We love you. We probably send your sons and we said, amen.